Hey, Circle Take listeners. Thanks for joining me. Today, we are talking to writer and director Susie Younesi about the first feature film she directed, the 2008 film Dear Lemon Lima. So, as always, before you listen to the show, here are the Circle Take rules. Rule one, we always talk about spoilers. Circle Take is a deep, deep dive, and no plot turn is sacred, so you have been warned. Rule two, before you go any further, you should watch this movie. I promise you, while it's possible to listen to this podcast without seeing the film, it's a million times better if you watch the film first. So, before we get started, how to watch Susie Inessi's Dear Lemon Lima. As of the recording of this show, it's available on Amazon Prime and Amazon Instant Video, and also on iTunes, so you can do this. Dear Lemon Lima, get a hold of it, give it a watch. All right, guys, everybody one, please. Well, anyway, guys, hold the talking. Here we go. All right, guys, pictures up. Pictures up. Pictures up. That's real sound. Sound speed. Susie Inessi interview, take one. Mark. And action. This is The Circle Take, conversations, insights, and lessons from directors about their first feature film. I'm Jason Schmid, your host. I'm an independent film producer. In 2006, I directed my first feature film, and over my career, I've had a chance to work with dozens of first-time directors, and I continue to find the experience fascinating. My guest today is writer-director Susie Younesi. Yunesi is a multi-talented director working in features, series, and commercial platforms. She received her BFA from San Francisco Art Institute and her MFA from Columbia University, where she was a recipient of the FMI Directing Fellowship. After producing, writing, and directing several award-winning short films, Yunesi went on to direct feature films, including the Scooby-Doo origin story film Daphne and Velma, and several streaming series, including the Snapchat series The Dead Girls Detective Agency, based on the hit book. Her most recent feature film, Unlovable, premiered at the South by Southwest Film Festival in Texas, where it won a special jury prize and the praise of critics and audiences. But Yunesi's first feature film, which she wrote and directed, is the 2009 film Dear Lemon Lima, which tells the story of a young teen girl who's forced to confront her lifelong crush on the boy of her dreams. Dear Lemon Lima picked up a bunch of awards in the film festival circuit and was released by HBO, Showtime, and the Sundance Channel. Susie Unessi, welcome to The Circle Take. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, first of all, let's talk a little about the short film, Dear Lemon Lima. You received a National Geographic grant and a Jerome Foundation grant for the short, and it subsequently played around the world in over 70 film festivals, including Tribeca Film Festival, Hamptons Film Festival, and the Los Angeles Film Festival. When did you make that short, and what was the inspiration for it? The Dear Lemon Lima short was made, I believe, in 2006. Um, and that was my senior thesis film at Columbia University School of the Arts, where I went to graduate school. So I had written a feature film script, Dear Lemon Lima, and followed in the spirit of what Kim Kimberly Pierce did with her film where she did a short and then a feature. Um, so I made, I distilled the Dear Lemon Lima feature into a short, and um, the inspiration for it was my my childhood diary and the rainbow studded pages of my childhood diary did you change the name lemon lima from 
the diarrhea was that actually the that's my imaginary friend is named lemon lima so growing up (laughs) and i think it was because i really liked like lemon meringue the strawberry shortcake doll and lime soda so lemon lima became my imaginary friend can you talk a little bit about uh the making of that short film sure the short film i remember um this was so long ago but um (laughs) but uh I was lucky to work with DP Sarah Levy. So I met Sarah at the Sundance Film Festival. I saw So Young Kim's film In Between Days. It was her first feature, and it was so beautifully shot and captured, and I loved the intimacy of the camera work. So after the screening, I went up to Sarah, who was the DP, and asked her if she would work with me on Dear Lemon Lima. And at the time, like I didn't have financing for the feature, I knew I was going to make the short and I think I was applying for grants to get that made. And she said, yes. And we just really connected. Um, and so, uh, I started to build out the creative team. I got, and Sarah now has moved on to like camera operated on Captain Marvel, Black Panther. She's doing very well. Um, but I also had production designer Kay Lee, who is someone in New York and just filled up the crew with, people in New York um, and and we got because we it needed to be set at an ice cream stand but to rent an ice cream stand is exorbitant in the summer in New York because that's when they make their money sure. so we end up getting an ice cream truck and just setting it up in a park and um, and building a couple of pieces to make it look like it was in that specific spot and it actually added really to like a sense of place having them in the two characters in this little ice cream truck and well, then, it seems like you sort of fell in love with that visual because you obviously carried it over into the feature yeah well the the feature was a little little stand too and i think we made that stand too it was like a lot of like the production designer building it out i think it's just hard to find ice cream places that will let you film but also it did adds to sort of this like kitsch iconic image that people see of like a big ice cream cone that's such right. a staple or image that's from my childhood and ingrained in me. Is that a piece of, of your those, childhood, those those summer Those summer, because I lived in Buffalo, New York. So okay. definitely sure. there was like the ice cream stand that we would go to and really relish those moments because summer in buffalo is so short and fleeting right, right. and hot um, right it is it gets really warm. hot for yeah. a short amount of time short amount of time and then, then you're back to the cold. winter yeah. <laughs> so. can you talk a little bit about the grants you got for the short film and did that help you make the film financially or was that like more in kind no that was actually helping us make the film financially so we from national geographic all roads film we received, I believe, $10,000 at the time. That's a nice um, chunk of money. For yeah, time. yeah. And so we received a grant from them, but I don't know if they still do those grants that they did at the time. Um, and then from the Jerome Foundation, they gave us, I believe it was $15,000. And Jerome Foundation is a New York-based organization that's amazing for artists. And they had helped with my first film, Vern, and had given me think even $30,000 for it. So they do have, if you're a New York-based artist, which I was at the time, they do give a lot of support to young up-and-coming New York artists. So it was super helpful and completely subsidized that short at the time. 
um, and enabled us to shoot on Super 35 film, which was cool. And now right. looking back, it's like the opportunity to shoot on it's nostalgic. Film. Yeah. yeah. Aspiring filmmakers all want to know um, the burning question all of their minds is how did you get the gig? Was there someone who pushed you or gave you a break to get it from short to feature? Or was that all internally you just pushing it to that end? And then, and then if you could describe the process of getting it from one to the other. I think, and then you are your greatest champion and advocate. And anyone who gets their first feature made, it's a result of their, like, their stamina and their endurance and their ability to like, there's so many rejections. So you have to be very thick skinned, but I do um, definitely along the way, there were so many champions and supporters, um, film independent. They invited me to do their directors, writers and producers lab. That was huge. Tribeca All Access invited me to, um, to their program. And that and would have been in between the making of the short film, yes. your graduation, and then... Yeah, and then like right right after I made the short film, I got into these different programs and was on track to make my feature. And ITVS, I met with them when I was at Tribeca All Access, and they supported with some money to help push forward the development and the production. And it seemed like they were going to, because at the time, ITBS had this program where they were subsidizing features. Mm -hmm. And now they no longer do it. I feel like there was one other director whose feature that they had subsidized at that time. But for us, like we, we were like on track. I'd done these labs and it seemed like we were going to go into production and they were going to put the bill for the production and that all came to a halt. They helped us with development, but right before we were planning to shoot, the you know, the head And, and at that point you were you were targeting what kind of budget? We were targeting about half a million. And so then at that point everything came to like a screaming halt and it was reaching out to family and friends to get my first feature done because it seemed mm -hmm. like everything was gonna happen in right. this like you didn't want to lose your momentum. Of, like film independent in Tribeca and going to right, these labs right. and meeting these organizations. And definitely there was a lot of support and in-kind support. But when it came like to suddenly happening, it was like a last minute. We don't have the money. We have the production plan. We're full steam ahead. And like everything that we anticipated isn't going to happen. So and it was it just was, like a Hail Mary to your yeah, friends and family of like, totally. please keep absolutely, the ball rolling here. Absolutely. So when all is said and done, it was like, if I didn't have that support system, I would never, I would never have, I don't even know what I would have <laughs> done because at that point we were just sprinting and we were moving so quickly and in motion. Because again, I mean, they did, again, they really supported us and helped out and did give us a chunk of money to, and you were developing the script and, through that yeah, process? Yeah, we were developing the script with them. And they were head of ITBS at the time. The head of development was an incredible champion and still is great. I think he's now at Sundance, but he was amazing. And so... Do you he feel was, like they really helped you as, as far as any structural stuff for the script oh, or for understanding sure, like for sure. theme and character and that kind Definitely. of stuff? Definitely. They were very helpful in the development process. They were very respectful. They sent us to Alaska and it's set um, one of the themes of the film and subjects it deals with is the 
um, Native American, the World Eskimo Indian Olympics. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that happens in Alaska and it enabled me to go to Alaska and have that experience and meet with a lot of Alaskan Natives. And I wanted um, to ask you about that, actually, because in the in the short film version, it's that doesn't really play. It's sort of any town USA. And then obviously in the feature, it's clearly set in Alaska. And I was wondering if, obviously the intention was always to make it a feature film, but was it always set in Alaska or did that come later? Gosh, that came, I feel like that came halfway through the process because I was in Alaska writing and I stumbled on this thing called the World Eskimo Indian Olympics, which are these real games and they're- While you were there. Yeah, and they're incredible. They're really inspiring because it's all about survival skills. It's based on tradition. And it's really inspiring to see people cheering for each other as opposed to going against each other. And it's really about like this community and sense of support. And it had a lot to do, it resonated with me thematically in terms of what Lemon Lima is about. And even being from Buffalo, New York and upstate New York, Alaska and upstate New York, landscape i mean just culturally i feel like and even socially have a lot in common um so it made sense and there was always something called the snowstorm survivor competition within the script and it just elevated it and gave it a more of a specificity and sure. i feel like so much of storytelling is be specific and sure. like yeah. why this and why this moment and what's specific and what's different what what are you telling us that's different than what we've seen before sure Let's talk about the casting process. What were some of the challenges of not only working with such a young cast, but the talent search? Well, I think looking for Vanessa, the lead character, because she is part Yupik in the story. And to find someone who is part Yupik was a challenge. And I worked with Mormon Bowling Casting, who I'd worked with on Miranda July's Me and You and Everyone We Know. Mm -hmm. And they really did a deep, deep search that we were getting a lot of tapes in from girls all over the world who were part Native. And um, and that's how we found Savannah Wiltfong, who was the star of the film. But it was her first film. And definitely in looking at it, I'm like, oh, that's her first film. And so a lot of working with her as an actor was you know, figuring out, it wasn't like a traditional actor where you can just call out action verbs. It was how to carve out emotions based and grounded in reality and what was happening in the moment. So um, even that first day of shooting, we filmed the scene in which Vanessa overcomes her love of, of Philip, the lead love interest. And in that day, it was very tricky to get her to feel animosity towards him because she had a crush on him. She had like the real seen pictures of him. She had a crush on him. It was her first time meeting him. He was an actor coming from LA. Right. So she was just smitten. And it was the <laughs> scene where she was just supposed to really get past him. And so with the actor Shane Top, who played Philip, we did some improv and he had known that she was insecure about her dimples so at some point when the camera was rolling he said your dimples are really showing and her whole face shifted and that moment of like getting over him happened in an instant but it was like an unconventional way of working with an right. actor but something that when you're working with right. very hitchcockian social... way to get through <laughs> <Yeah>. the scene <laughs> social media star or some someone else like you 
someone who's not as versed in traditional acting methods. Sure. Now, you've gone on in your career to do a lot of work with young actors. Do you think it's because this film sort of jet you in that direction, or was that something you were looking for in your career? Um, I think I'm interested in stories of young people's stories and young actors and coming-of-age stories because it was a time in my life where I was so impressionable and um, easily swayed. And even like the experience you have when you're in seventh grade to high school is 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 the hardest it's definitely those are the hardest years of my life and i think any young girl's life and boys like it's just a really tough time and i think um and parents can't help necessarily with the tools that kids need because they don't feel heard they don't relate with their parents during those years and so to me movies are a way to communicate to kids and to um, impress upon them that they'll make it and you can get past it and it's okay to be different. And all of these themes, I feel like for me when I was young, like the kind of stories that I would want to tell, now I have the opportunity to be part of those stories and impress upon a new generation that it's going to be okay and you're going to make it. And here's a movie that you can watch that lets you know, like sometimes fitting in is about standing out. And definitely Lemon Lima, my first feature did help with moving into getting jobs that are coming of age films and it has a very specific tone and look. So I guess that's something in making your first feature always to consider is like, what stories do you want to tell? Because your first feature is your calling card. And for me, that showed people that I could work with kids and also give a sense of scope um, and and a specific, like, um, I feel like all my films have very specific visual language, and that particular film had a lot of visual candy to it, and a sure. candy sheen to it. Yeah, sure did. Because you were shooting on location, was there any special consideration you had in building the crew, knowing that you were going to be sort of in a remote place? Yeah, we ended up filming in Seattle, Washington, because at the time, Washington State had some really great tax incentives mm -hmm. um very sadly they're gone now because i would love to film there again i just think the landscape is yeah. so incredible and they have really great crews that were built out from that time um but we didn't end up shooting in alaska because it was cost prohibitive to fly everyone out there's just not the equipment base and there's not the support system to be able to make a film at this budget level, at least sure. in the way we wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, so we ended up filming in Seattle, Washington, and we flew out. We flew out our DP and production designer, um, and then then we crewed up locally for the rest of the. That's it, just the two roles. departments. Just the two departments. Wow. Um, but we were very lucky to find some incredible talent locally and still like watch their careers and how they've grown. And even there's one girl who is an art department intern who I've worked with on every film since that time. That's great. And we met on that film and she's the one who does like all of the doodles in my films and helps a lot with like conceiving worlds when I do world building within a film. So um, so that's I'm great. Very lucky from that time. Was it mostly people who were early in their career up in Seattle, or was it some seasoned people who had been in the in the in the local film community? It was a mixture of new talent and older talent. Um, 
but we were very, very lucky of the new talents that we had. I think it was just one of those special films where we got so lucky because the art department, what they achieved on the small budget is incredible. And the props person we had, Ben, who was it? It was, I can't remember his last name, but he was so great. And he was, he now does like bigger art department stuff in that area, but he really, we got so lucky with the crew that we had when we were there. And it's interesting even thinking back on the first feature, we had 27 days on half a million dollars. And I've done films since then where like a $4 million film where we had 17 days, a $1.3 million film where we had 14 days. Like it, I've never had the luxury of that many, that days, many days. And yeah. I do think there were incredible producers on Lemon Lima and they were so supportive and they were so smart with the way they used the money because it really, really fought to get you those days. And oh yeah. And it was all on screen and just thinking now, like I think about then it was like, we have a six page day. It's a big day. And I'm like, oh, God, if I could have <laughs> six page days every day now, that would be so dreamy. I always like to ask about rewrites because more likely than not, the script is sort of, being tweaked as as the production rolls along did you find that was the case for you or did you kind of find yourself locked into it and you just shot what was on the page day? i think for the first feature we shot mostly what was on the page we did do some additional photography i think a day of additional photography for inserts and stuff after when we were in post and then we would rewrite some of Vanessa's diary entries in post because that was something that was easy to do. What when it was she voiceover. Would, yeah, in voiceover, we would rewrite what she was saying. And, and that was something where there was flexibility to do that. But, but once you were into pre-production, you pretty much stuck to the script we on this one? stuck to the script. And I think that was partially because when I was in prep, one of the labs I did that was super independent, super... Um, helpful and I would recommend any upcoming filmmaker to do it was the film independent directors lab. And in that lab, I workshopped two scenes from Lemon Lima and they were terrible. They were like the most poorly directed scenes I've ever done. And it was after I'd done the short, which was very successful. And then I did these two scenes and they were, they were just horrible. They were poorly poorly constructed and i think i even worked with sarah my dp on them but it was just like it why was, do you think you got worse in the, in the i lab? think i i don't know if i was like resting on my laurels when i was shooting but definitely there was something it just was missing sort of the magic of it in those scenes i ended up throwing out one of those scenes completely doing a page one rewrite of it and then the second scene was the scene with the clouds in um there's a scene where all of where the they're all laying, laying down, down together yeah, yeah so beautifully captured and it's a scene i'm really proud of but the way we had captured it was lacking any of that whimsy to it and so we just reconceived how the camera was playing to capture it and ended up doing like a beautiful jib shot that um captured this like specific time in these kids yeah, lives yeah. but the way that it was initially shot was not magical and whimsical it just and it was missing like a certain tone and it it was a great experience a humbling experience but i think it really helped because then by the time i was shooting oh yeah because i was terrified i was like 
oh my god, I can make <laughs> this terrible movie like these two scenes, or I can. Were you concerned at, during that point with, that you were gonna? continue just making bad scenes I don't, and, I, and wind I, up with a feature film full of terrible scenes. Oh my scenes. God. It was, it was definitely like, it was definitely like a wake up moment because. And, and how it, long before production was that workshop? This was like right before, it was like a month before, two months, but I don't know. It felt very really close. close. It was sort of like I did the workshop and I went into production. And so maybe eight weeks before. That's a big and old so, ego check right there. Yeah. Oh, it was great because wow. it just, made me feel it lit a fire under me and sure. it made me know that you can't like rest on your laurels and to like really consider tone and how is the camera playing to underscore what the scene says and so um so i think it was i think it was really helpful for me and and our dp and all the collaborators i had on the film just because it reinvigorated us and made it clearer to me like what did i want to say with this film and how did i want to tell right. this story and if i don't tell it through that specific lens, this is how it could end up being. And I mean, there were great actors even in those scenes. It was just poorly, it was just poorly directed. So <laughs> yeah. So well, at least you knew it was on you to fix. It was definitely on me to fix. And Let's quickly get through the nuts and bolts of this. Cause I always like to sort of run this down. So people know just the nitty gritty of this. Um, you already said it was 27 days. Um, were there any unions on this film? Obviously SAG. You've got people. It was a so. union film. It was a SAG film. It was not DGA. I didn't join the DGA till Unlovable. And oh, just recently then? Well, Unlovable was shot three years ago. Right. Right. Well, these things take a long time yes. to come together, don't they? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, right. Someone was telling me like an overnight success, 10 years in the making. Um, yeah. 10 years is line. quick. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Did you have a oh, union we did, crew? We did do a union crew, but it okay. was ultra low budget union. And in Washington, they were really kind. I feel like it was like a hundred something a day rates. And so um, they made the IATSE was, yeah. yeah. We didn't have Teamsters. I don't remember having Teamsters on that, but okay. I do remember it being union. And what kind of, were you doing five or six day weeks? Five day weeks. Five day weeks yes, over 27 days. I think it wow. was really helpful, especially with kids, yeah, to do six sure. day weeks with anyone. Six day weeks are brutal. I feel like we had one six day week maybe on Unlovable, but I feel like normally I try and keep things to five day weeks. If you Burns can. you out. Yeah. yeah. And what kind of cameras did you use on the film? God, it was, we shot Super 35 on, on Dear Lemon Lima, and it was a Panavision camera, but I can't even remember. Well, it was which film. camera Who cares it was? What it was, it was film. Point, it was film. <laughs> it was, but it um, was magical. And did you looks... did you feel that pressure? Because nowadays you don't have that. We're just burning ones and zeros. Just let it roll. See what happens. Who cares? Get another drive. Did you feel the pressure of like there's film in this camera? I don't want to roll out on this. You know. You know what I mean? Oh there's yeah, that definitely. Your shooting ratio. It's interesting because at that time even in school and being on set, you would think about your shooting ratio. Right. What's your shooting ratio? And now it's like, no one cares about your shooting ratio. Just yeah. get as much coverage as you can is sort of the mandate of the studios now. I was even thinking back on Lemon Lima because now it's been maybe 10 years. Yeah. But I was thinking back on how I only had one camera that we were filming on. We just had that one camera. There wasn't two cameras going, which is... Every shoot since then, I feel like most jobs I'm on, there's always two cameras running. And to think mm -hmm. there was such like a purity to the way we shot that film one and your first angle feature. at a time. Yeah, one angle at a time. Yeah. All, all the attention was completely on that actor 
it's fun to look back on it because you feel like you do a lot of cross coverage now not cross coverage it's always facing the same way because i feel like cross coverage usually your dp will like freak out yeah but i was thinking (laughs) but so usually i try and pick up two like two sizes of a frame of something or try and pick off the inserts at the same time as you're shooting shooting in a specific direction but that's all it's funny to look back then i would have like if i had two cameras what would the movie be right what a different time we're living in even that I'll probably never shoot on Super 35 again, which probably is, not. I was so dedicated yeah. to shooting it on Super 35 because Did, that was, was the it way. Was it because you knew that it was going away? Well, no, it was because I felt like the, I felt like the way the, the protagonist, Vanessa Lamore, the way she saw her life was like it was Lawrence of Arabia or Gone with the Wind. It was this epic romance that she was experiencing. So it needed to be captured on Super 35 because you didn't feel like it was, was a digital language. format that was robust no, enough. No, point. no. But I, guess I guess there now, really wasn't. No, yeah, definitely. Was I remember early days. Yeah. Yeah. And how many people were on the crew? We had a crew of about 40 people, including cast cast probably 60 with cast yeah and then and then you how many days did you have because there are some days on your film with a huge number of extras in the school scenes where there's 30 40 maybe even 50 kids yeah background those are some big days just people on set days how many of those did you have we had two of those i think two of the big exterior snowstorm survivor days with tons of extras yeah and And then then one interior i think there was like a gymnasium scene yes and we shot those in one day so that all the gymnasium stuff was one in the morning and then boom outside yeah did you have any long days on this? Any days where it put you in turnaround? Oh, yeah. There was one day that I remember was super long, which was inside the Spanish classroom. And I remember Vanessa hadn't memorized her lines in Spanish. So, <laughs> so it was like, but now looking at it, I feel like I should have used that to my advantage. And that's something now as a director who's done it more, like the idea of using the mistakes to be, to work towards the story because it would have been hilarious if she was speaking in Spanish but messing it up and saying lines half Spanish, right. half English. Just mangled Spanish. Yeah, because that's the way when you're in Spanish right. class, you aren't fluent. You're like right. that Philip was fluent and she's sort of flubbing every line is funny. But I think right. in the you moment... Were, you were in the purest mode of it. Yeah, be right. oh yeah, first feature, purest mode. Like right. now I'd be like, let's use it. You know, instead <laughs> now there's so much more like I feel like now I'm much more present in the moment and willing mm-hmm. to throw out whatever the shot list is, whatever the plan is. Like, Do you think at the time you weren't aware that you were in that purist mode or were you self-aware of being like, I'm so purist about this? Oh, care. I wasn't. I mean, because I was coming out of film school. I was a auteur, you know, so, <laughs> um, so I don't think I was like super. I feel like I was just like dedicated to this vision. It needed to be this vision. And now I still I think it's important to like stick to a vision and you can always tell when there's now having worked with studios like you really again stick to the vision but you have to be able to also like when you get hit in the head with a tomato like take the tomato and make delicious sauce you know like it's so much more about adapt, pivoting adapt, and adapt. yeah that yeah. that was something probably like now I understand much more I think there were a couple days by the end of lemon lima I think I understood that more because we had some like rain days outside and we used the rain to our advantage. And I think those exteriors with all the girls look so 
beautiful because it was this rainy, gloomy day. Mm -hmm. So, um, do you feel like? I feel like it's really unusual to have. I feel like twenty-seven days is a long time. Do you feel like having those short script days gave you a sense of security? At the time, or, or did you? No, you, at the time, or, or were you even aware? I had that no idea that was a luxury. No idea. I had no idea that twenty-seven days that was going to be the only time I've ever had twenty-seven days. You just thought so, that's how you make movies. <laughs> I think. Oh, I did do a twenty-eight day shoot, but it was for two seasons of something. So it was like two hundred twenty pages of material, and we had twenty-seven or twenty-eight days. But I've never. Right, so I you just, break it down. It's the yeah, same. Yeah. yeah. So I never. I had no idea i had no idea that that was not normal and now looking back i'm like how did they do it and how can i get those producers on everything i do but to stretch um, the dollar yeah but even for unlovable i felt like they stretched the dollar well too which is my most recent film that was out and that was a hundred fifty thousand dollar budget i think two hundred thousand now all in and they had 17 days and daphne and velma again a much bigger budget had 17 days. So mm -hmm. it is like sort of the producers you're working with and how the budget how they're is used to. I feel like certain producers are used to spending money in a certain way. And if you try and get them outside of their little comfort box of like, these are the people I use, these are the phone calls I make, these are the budgets I'm used to working at. And if you try and tell them, no, no, we can do it for this, they go, not me. No, that's not how I work. You know, and it's yeah. like, it's you just get you get kind of locked into the way they do it and then you can't you kind of like you said you kind of have to call that other producer and be like can we do it with you because this guy he only knows how to spend this kind of money yeah well you know? even that you were saying you've worked with a bunch of first time directors i feel like there is a thing that usually producers have like x amount of low budget films inside of them like you can only do so many hundred fifty thousand dollar films because you have that many favors so it is yeah. impressive that you've worked with first-time directors so much because it is like there's a certain bandwidth or patience level with first-time directors because when you do your first film what's beautiful is you're so precious about so much because the stakes are so high because you have this honor of being able to make a movie yeah. so it needs to be the greatest you know i think when you're working with a first-time director sitting on the other side of that experience it really depends on who that person is and how they're attacking that role if they're you know i've definitely had the experience of working with directors where you know they they want to have that i'm the auteur experience of like it's my vision or nothing and i've also had the experience of hey look i feel like i could use your help here let's collaboratively come up with a way to make this better and that's always the better experience obviously for them as well because i think they always wind up feeling like oh i made a better movie but i think it always depends on you know what their point of view is going to be going into it if they're willing to like look around and collaborate or if they want to have that that experience of like being that single visionary yeah on that first film yeah that's true and film is a collaborative medium for a lot of people i think it takes experience to learn that um, you know getting notes on your movie is a beast you know it's oh it's, yeah, yeah man. speaking of which let's talk about post-production because that's usually uh pretty rough going when you see that first assemble can we talk about um the editor on your short film, uh, Andrew, 
He's um, he's huge, right? Who, yeah, no slouch. He, he went on to cut like Black Swan, The Wrestler, like some really excellent films, especially editorially. Was there a reason you couldn't go back oh my to God, him? I wish Andrew was available, but he wasn't available when we were shooting. I think he might have even been editing a Wes Anderson movie by the time we were uh, shooting. Darjeeling, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's why Andrew didn't do it. But he did, for the short, that was like, it was cut. And like when I saw it, I was like, this is great. I think there were like tiny notes, the tiniest of notes ever. But Andrew Weissbloom is a major talent. So it's cool to see how, because he, he did Lemon Lima and it was like as he was transitioning from assistant editor to editor and his skills and his innate sense of like pace and story were so clear, even in looking at that film so long ago and thinking back to the first cut. And then for the feature, it was just much more of a laborious, intensive edit. Then it definitely and, didn't cut in the same way where it was like first cut and we're done. <laughs> it was a lot of massaging. And did you have a, a particular tone and style editorially that you were trying to inform the editorial staff with? Well, I think what was nice is that we had the short version of it to riff off of. And so that okay. sort of set the pace. That was like the pace we were going for in the style we were going for. So, so you're able to set them down with the short film. Yes, go, I for like sure. This. Yeah, this is the short. This right. is what what the style Without is. Without showing them like somebody else's film. Yeah, yeah. Which, <laughs> yeah. Were there any challenges from post-production that stick out? Oh, so, I mean, the performance. <laughs> so for the lead actress, just because it was carving out her performance. Mm -hmm. when, whenever you're Trying working to massage with, that and make it yeah, feel real. Yeah, for sure. Giving it an arc and... I think anytime you're working with someone who's like a first time actor that it's carving out the performance and it's yeah. amazing how you can morph a performance and really yeah. build it out but it's in the edit it's not and then necessarily you screen it for people and they, and they all go wow she's so good and yeah like, you totally no idea oh yeah so <laughs> i think for both features for unlovable and dear lemon lima we used we did test screenings and i think that's something to me with studios i wish they would I guess I haven't been at the size where they do test screenings, but I think test screenings are so important because there's a moment in the process where you as a filmmaker feel strongly about something, the producers feel strongly about something, and on Unlovable and Dear Lemon Lima, the way we got past it was we do a test screening. We well, see let me jump working. in with a question real quick about that. Did you do the traditional editor's cut, director's cut, producer's cut on yeah. this movie? Um, not producers. Not producer's cut. There was never a producer's cut for Dear Lemon Lima and Unlovable. There weren't producer's cuts. Well, you were a producer on Lovable. Yes. So technically. Well, I guess technically. There wouldn't but, have to be. But definitely Mark be Duplass. Anyway. Yeah. Mark Duplass is very generous to a creative and it was the only change I would say that happened in the director's cut to the cut that's been released by Orion Classics was the need for it to be 82 minutes because we had delivered a 79 minute film and for South America it needed to be 82 minutes for their partners. So, and Mark even went to bat to try and keep it to the 79 minutes that I thought was the like dream. Do you have to like stick a scene back in that uh, you didn't love so we, much? We definitely, yeah, there's definitely couple yeah. of scenes that were on the I've edit room there. floor that made it back. It's usually in. for foreign where they, you know, the PAL version, like 4%, and then it's like, you lose this much time, so it's got to be this long, yeah. so by the time it gets there, yeah. you're like, ah, oh, really? So you talked about, uh, you did a couple of pickup scenes. Can you talk a little bit about what you were trying to accomplish with those? Yeah, for Lemon Lima, we did, a, the whole opening is new. 
the um, cootie catcher with Philip and it's saying, is he the one? So that was completely new and that was shot on a stage, I think even. So Mike Barnett, who's a great director and it's interesting looking back at all of these people on Lemon Lima because there's so many great talents that were from that, like who have risen and even Mike is, um, he's a director, he's a DP, he's just super talented, but he did the additional photography, which was that scene of her with the cootie catcher. But we really needed to set up that she loved Philip. Like somehow in the short, you immediately get that, but it wasn't there in the performance for the feature. And so we added this scene where it was like her checking this cootie catcher and it says yeah. he loves you and it sets up. That I never like, knew what those were called, by the way. That's a, called a yeah, cootie, cootie catcher. catcher. I remember them from childhood. Yeah. And, you know, people would, but I didn't know that it's had a pretty, name. Pretty good cootie catcher. I saw it like three weeks ago in my home. I feel like I only just threw it out because it finally faded. <laughs> but um, I have no. Was was the, was that scene conceived based on information you were able to cull from test screenings? Yes. Test screenings, like what, what things were missing. And even for. Do you remember level, what the notes felt like that made you think we need this? precious moment I at think the head. it was not understanding that she like not getting the sense that of the stakes immediately and that was a similar thing with unlovable because we did additional photography for that opening so that at, in the beginning of the film she this girl is hitting rock bottom and tries to take her life and it was a similar thing about stakes and like the stakes being set up immediately within the story yeah, it's interesting because now I feel like I'm, I pay so much attention to that like first scene of the mm-hmm. movie and what it is and are the stakes in the world immediately being told to people. Definitely on Lemon Lima and Unlovable, we were fortunate to do additional photography, which I think is always such a smart thing to put aside $10,000 for an extra day of filming because even we shot like um, for Unlovable, it was so low budget, so we sort of were scrambling to get what we could and there was... The stuffed animals were this brown bear collection of Melissa Leo had this friend whose husband passed away and she offered to give us all these stuffed animals because he had this huge teddy bear collection. And in the script, she had stuffed animals and we saw them and on screen, they were just really sad because it was all these like brown. Faded. thirty, Yeah, faded, not at all within the palette of unlovable, which is bright and vibrant you wanted like care bears yeah i wanted like emotive yeah Yeah. care bears we did additional photography and probably like mark duplass is one of the only people who who would like sign off on additional photography for stuffed animals animals (laughs) that were emotive but in that moment and in those scenes when we cut to the stuffed animals and their singles it was like this sad octopus and cassie megan's who was the art director on it just did such a good job of casting those stuffed animals and it made such a difference and it's crazy how in the edit you really it's such a powerful room to be in the edit room and it's such a it's really where the magic happens and so i think it's important as you're directing to definitely be considering writing and the story and what is happening so let's talk about mistakes and this happened 10 years ago so hopefully there's been enough time <laughs> gone by and we've been talking for long enough that some things are, uh, uh, are coming back into your mind. Is there anything that you remember that might have cost you a shot? Now you had 27 days, so you had some pretty short days, but was there anything 
that you felt like something happened where it cost you some coverage? Yeah, I guess what were some of the, there was definitely like a scene I remember in the basement, we were in the gym and I wish I had gotten a single on a character. So I guess the big mistake or the thing that I learned from that film is trust your instincts. If you feel like you don't have it, you probably don't have it. So now on Did set, you have a like, scripty on this movie? I did, yeah. And were they useful? Yeah, great. I mean, I think we did, we might have gotten, there was just one scene that was just a master and it looked cool in the master. It was when the girl is on the row machine and Vanessa's hugging the, but it could have been nice to also have a single of Vanessa. And I think in that moment, we were just moving and it looked great as a winner. So we were like, let's just do it as this winner. But well, definitely, there. I've been there. It could have yeah. been nice to have a yeah. single of the protagonist. I've been, too. I've been there on my own film and I've been there with other filmmakers where we're in the editing room and almost invariably it comes up where the DP talked us into a winner. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's going to be great in one. And then I've never worked on a film where that happens where it finds its way into the movie as a wonder. We always wind up cutting it, blowing something up, flopping it, doing something and cutting it up in some way that it's no longer what the DP thought it was going to be. It's true. Even I recently did the snap series and I remember there was like a moment where the DP was like, we got it in the wonder. And I was like, let's flip a lens. Yeah. We get on the longer lens. Don't even have just to move the camera. Just yeah. yeah. And so, and we, it ended up being cut because yeah. that's what, when you think about pace and, yeah. and if time, you're stuck on a one or you can't pace it. Yeah. Definitely. I feel like I understand more how to, what coverage I really need. And mm -hmm. in my binder, I usually have like a binder with the script in it. And I always like put, list. I put like a couple of like dash marks with like things that I need. Like, do you do storyboards? The most important. No, I think I did some storyboards for the bigger action scenes in Dear Lemon Lima. But I think as I've, that's one of the things from like doing, when I did shorts in grad school, I remember always doing storyboards, but something that like I sort of have thrown out by now because it's, unless it's a big action sequence, like I think for Daphne and Velma, I did an animatic of something, which was a bigger action sequence. Um, but I don't think, I don't think it's helpful because I think you get locked into this idea of how the frame should look and it's really important not to be considering what the frame is but what the actor is doing and what's the emotional trajectory of the scene and what's the emotion that you're following and when you do storyboards you get wrapped up in like this beautiful frame and it's going to look like this <laughs> when the story is about these emotions and the right. human emotion and human right and the fluidity of where you're shooting yes yes yeah and the space yeah your space is totally going to be different so yeah i don't think unless it's something that requires like special effects and visual effects in a heavy way that requires storyboarding i don't use it personally don't think it's helpful do you remember anything on this film where you didn't realize a mistake until you were in post-production and had to come up with a solve for it there yeah there were definitely gosh what were some of the things Feels like there. I mean, definitely like the voiceovers changed, the diary entries changed as our Vanessa, or Vanessa was just someone different than we had the short and we had a girl who was cast as Vanessa who was so particular and strong in a certain way. And the Vanessa that we had in the feature was brilliant, but totally different. She was like a real foobar. She was <laughs> an outsider. She had like this gangly, she was like sort of in between sizes. So I think. We switched all of the voiceover 
to be specific, more specific to her voice and who she was versus who the girl we cast in the short, who she was. So I think that was something, I don't know if mistake is the right, but it was just like that each, you sort of, in casting, you cast someone and then have to run with what their voice is and how they see the world versus like maybe what your initial conceit of something right. was. And, and and I guess you said you didn't modify the script on a day-to-day basis over the course of the shoot. So your opportunity was to change it in post with the voiceover. Yes. Yeah. Were you able to modify her dialogue in scene to scene by editing it in a certain way? No, we, had, we didn't really sculpt it. Cut up her dialogue because her dialogue still worked with who she was. But yeah, I think it was more like those voiceovers for the diary entries. And then we also even did that whole title sequence in post that I think was helpful. And that wasn't something that was scripted, but I think it helped a lot in setting up like where we were and giving it a sense of place. It was like all these doodles that were like, Alaska and then Vanessa and Philip and set up their relationship and was her doodles like so it showed again that when did that idea come up that was in post when we started to talk about doing we had a friend who's a great director you should meet with this Sarah Dina Smith she's a brilliant director she did Buster's Mall Heart but at the time she was she was like let me do your title sequence and so I was like great we could get title sequence for free and (laughs) so but it ended up being this arduous, crazy, I mean, it's like a pretty, I think it's a brilliant title sequence, but definitely was a lot of work. And so. And that was all done by one person. That was like three people. That was like the girl who was the art department intern, her brilliant drawings, the girl who now does all my props and works with me in the art department. And then Sarah Dina Smith and her husband, Shaheen, they all were. And I think there might have been one other guy. It was a studio that was like doing it for us, but it was really. Like a mini animation studio. Yeah. So it was like this brilliant, like it added a lot to the story because it gave us a sense of place. Well, it adds a lot to the opening of the film too. It just gives it, you know, a feeling of of bigness. Yeah. Even though it's so intimate. It just makes it feel like, you know, a quote unquote real movie. Yeah. You start watching it feeling, oh, this is going to like open up into something. Yeah. Is there anything in the movie that, I don't know when's the last time you watched it, is there anything that still kills you when you see it go by? Gosh, even all the Snowstorm Survivor stuff, I probably would cover it differently now because now I understand like how to direct an action sequence. Mm. So that's like probably that. Like it's just like we didn't, we were just like moving, moving because it's so many extras. And so that's right. something. And you like, only have all those extras for the one day. Yeah. And so you've so, got to like go, go, go. Yeah. So and that's, you only have one camera. Yeah. <laughs> and even for that, we had like this big, brilliant jib shot and maybe probably flipping a lens and getting closer on it too. Because it was like this cool heart that explodes open and then you see everyone. But if we had a close up too, just probably for that whole snow survivor it. sequence, I would probably just try and cover it more getting more coverage that's what i feel like for action sequences what you really want is like more coverage coverage yeah Yeah. angles angles yeah yeah well let's get to the circle take that's why i call it the circle take um and the idea is you know it's your takeaways it's the it's the moments that you found that were teachable moments to yourself what was the biggest thing that surprised you about the experience maybe how quickly it goes by i guess the biggest thing that i would surprised me about my first feature now looking back i mean it's hard because 10 Six years pages later a day for 27 days you're spoiled yeah <laughs> <laughs> so my takeaway 
feel like the idea of the um, storyboard versus being present and in the space and like this idea, because coming into it, you have the storyboards or the shot list. And then once you're in it and you're on day 27, you do like end up, you should always have your shot list, but you throw it out because you need to be present. And that's why I think all of the movie magic, the greatest movie magic happens on the day in the moment. And that was probably like the biggest like takeaway and surprise is that, you know, you have all these plans and this conceit, but really the most magical moments are the ones that are surprises. You just need to like be present, right? Because for those, like I even think about the end scene of Lemon Lima, which I think is so beautiful with the girls on the rocks and two of the girls doing ballet and throwing rocks and one of the girls with a big branch. And it's just like such a, beautiful closing moment with like a little bunny hopping away. It's like a moving painting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that was all like just showing up on the day and being like, what about you two up on this? And then my the person who ended up being my husband, like carrying Vanessa, Vanessa out or someone out to like the big rock and placing Vanessa here. And then the two girls just having them, giving them the direction of just like doing ballet. And it just, it was all like in the moment and taking that space and looking at that space and those rocks and thinking now with these characters and these girls that I've built this relationship with, what can I have each of them doing that's specific to their characters to give this film closure? And it was like that thing of like, you can shot list and storyboard as much as you want, but the magic happens in the moment and you just really need to be present and willing to let go in the moment to let movie magic happen. Do you remember if you felt like you were a different filmmaker on day 27 than you were on day one? Oh, for sure. For sure. Definitely the things that I did by day 27 <laughs> that I never thought I would do to like get that movie made are unspeakable. <laughs> so, do you remember what that would be? Well, there were some things probably that are stories I wouldn't share, but there was definitely <laughs> like some convincing to get like crew to come for an extra day because I think we added maybe day twenty, or there was like something with the schedule where there was like a holiday and we needed to shoot on this holiday because everyone was leaving so to get a skeleton crew in it just was definitely like I the lengths to which I went like in the sort of what I would do to get that movie made was pretty like extreme so <laughs> by the end of it say say yeah. and do anything to make to get to tomorrow so do you remember anything happening on set where you thought to yourself, I'm not doing that again? Yeah, there definitely, I feel like probably that Spanish scene was a good, I mean, now looking back, definitely sitting, waiting for the actor to learn all those lines, but maybe switching the lines and just letting it. Being militant to how you thought it was supposed to go. Yeah, just letting go, like, yeah. again, being present, being in the moment and letting go of how you perceive something to be because what there might be a better idea and if you just like throw everything out think in this moment what can we do within the time we have was there something that wound up being more difficult than you thought it was going to be going into it i mean definitely carving out a performance with a first-time actor is Mm. always a major major thing and so that was a lot of work and even but there was a moment because she needed to be crying and there was that scene with the hand shadows Mm -hmm. where she's lost her friend and all is lost and she's 
her performance is real and raw and she's dripping tears. And I remember on the day, I think the AD had pressured me and was like, God, there's no way she's going to get this in two takes. We only have time for two takes. And I said to the actress, no one believes you can do this except for me. And right now, like down my throats, and none of these people on set believe you can do it, but I do. I know you can do it. And I think just like there was something in what I said that just like peeled that like Band-Aid off and she just like wept and in two takes we got it and it was so beautiful and the crew had such respect for what she gave in that moment and so I feel like she really like owned it in that moment remember what day that was that was day 27 so that that was was like yeah. yeah and that was I think Again, the lengths to which I'd go. So I was like, well, do I say, like, what do I do to get a real performance? Like, do I poke and prod? But I had earned the trust of her and we had trust in each other. So we were at a place where I could take her somewhere and say something. And I think I even prefaced it with, I might say something that might hurt you. And that's why I think with your actors to be able to build that trust, especially with younger actors, where you can push them to that place, say something that's based in truth to get, a truthful emotion, but it might be something that hurts and is insecurities and preying on their insecurities. But, right. you know, for the moment, it makes it a true moment. And yeah. really, usually you want tears to be real. If tears are coming down in a movie, I, those, be earned, those yeah. stick things, the whatever the makeup artist has are not my, no. if I'm doing a feature and it's one of my children, I want real tears to be there. Yeah. Was there anything you remember that was easier than you thought it would be going in? I worked with Melissa Leo. This is my third time working with her, and it was probably the easiest because we started to have a shorthand. Sure, yeah. So that was something that was... And she was in your most recent film, too. Yeah, she was. You can't get enough Melissa Leo. I love Melissa Leo. I can't either. She's so good. So, (laughs) But definitely, I you know, that those scenes were easy breezy. Yeah, well, speaking... I mean, you did just complete that film. You know, it's already getting great reviews, and... Now that you've directed, I think, what, two other feature films? When you are on set now, is there anything where you think in a moment of, I remember this from Lemon Lima, and now I know how to do it better? Oh, yeah, for sure. So many things from your director's toolbox with every feature. You build up that toolbox. And so... Are there any little pieces in there that have little Lemon Limas on them that you're like, I get better at that from that? Well, I you know think, what I mean? like even with camera movement, the way you can rack between two people in a frame is something I learned on Lemon Lima that was effective. I think working with actors and how to work with an actor who's doing their first feature, definitely a lot of those tricks were something that I learned from Lemon Lima. I had never worked with someone who was a complete non-actor before and Savannah was brilliant and great but that language of to work with someone who needs help with carving things out and doesn't have traditional training is a different language that definitely was from Lemon Lima in terms of working with actors and young actors I think Lemon Lima taught me so much about how to work with young actors and a lot of those actors were between they were under 18 so oh yeah now, you're still working with a lot of young actors. Are you still finding yourself working with maybe not first-time actors, but certainly less experienced actors just because they're young? Well, even Unlovable, Charlene's not a teenager, but this was her first 
feature film that she was in. She's a comedian who's done a lot of videos on social media that have gone viral, but it was her first feature that she was in. So that was totally different than Lemon Lima, but similar in that it was... Inexperienced at sculpting a character performance over time. Yeah, Having to like build out a performance in someone's first feature and for compartmentalizing um, where things happen over the oh, schedule yeah. and all and that, that stuff was yeah. like on top of it we had john hawks and melissa leo playing opposite from her so yeah. those stakes were so Heavy high hitters, yeah. yeah and she killed it but it was like we needed to do the work get to her get there. her performance to that place but yeah. that was from lemon lima having those tools to work with an actor and understanding i think in general the more films that you're on and the more projects that you do the more different actors you work with and all actors have different needs and so i think coming from lemon lima i got to work with so many different actors who had different wants and needs and then moving from that just every single project or spot or commercial they work on you meet new talent, you meet new DPs and your toolbox, like the lenses that you work with, the camera movement you work with completely changes based off of the group that you're working with. So, Are you at the point now where you're calling lenses? I don't think I'm calling lenses, but I do like having a long lens and wide angle lenses. Because, yeah. so. you know, some directors are definitely like, I don't know what the DP is doing, but it looks cool. And some directors are like, okay, now the 50. Right. You know, it's like... <laughs> You know, it's it feels like you're somewhere in the middle now. Yeah, you're, you're I like, think I want I, it shorter. I, I want understa- longer. Yeah, I yeah. I understand. Whatever the number on the glass is yeah. your business, but I want it here. Yeah, I always like to close with some advice, and this is to an aspiring filmmaker. And this could be somebody who's in film school. This could be somebody who's on YouTube. Maybe they're working in the business. Maybe they're not. But this is somebody who's thinking about right now in today's world, making their first feature film. What kind of advice can you give someone starting out? I think to be persistent, be true to your voice and to who you are and tell your story. Because that to me is for every filmmaker, what makes a filmmaker distinct and strong is their voice and only you have your voice. And so what's your story and how can you tell that story? So that's what I would. Any major pitfalls that you'd warn them to look out for? <laughs> there are so many people who are going to try and like dim your sparkle. So shine brightly and rise above, move past. I love Ricky Thompson videos. And he has this whole like speech he does where he's like unbothered to stay unbothered when you get the pressure of like the producers or the studios or like this negative person in your space. Like, unbothered that's the greatest space to be that should be the filmmaker's mantra (laughs) yeah stay (laughs) unbothered or water off a duck's back that's what with my creatives waters water off a duck's back where i'll always say to them on set because we you know there have been a couple times where it's like you'll get a line producer who's negative and what can you do and and i say rise above it's going to show up on screen your work shows up on screen so leave the drama behind Um, and even with like, cause people try and like with film, there are just so many personalities and big personalities. And like, there is a lot of poking of the bear that happens. So it's just like, stay, stay calm. There's no reason. Don't, someone's trying to get a rise out of you. Walk away. There's work to be done. Back up and drive away. Like the, you know, the drama's coming at you back up, drive away. Like, unless it's the actors, there should be no drama on set. So. 
Well, Susie Yanessi, thank you so much for being on The Circle Take. Thanks for having me. That's our show for today. The Circle Take is produced by Blue Apples Media. Our music is written and performed by Corey Fader Jacobs. Check him out at themasterfader.com. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, where there's always more episodes to check out until next season. You can like us on Facebook at The Circle Take. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at The Circle Take, where we post photos from our conversations, schedule updates, and previews of upcoming shows. And of course, all of this, the podcast links, clips, notes, and more is all on our website at thecircletake.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason Schmid, and you can circle that one.